wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Welcome back, folks, to Wrestle Rant Radio here today for September 1st, 2016, first day of the new month. Looking forward to what September brings. We've got Clash of Champions in a couple weeks, Backlash coming up first, and only 10 more days, which I can't wait for. I'll be talking all about that when we get to the SmackDown review. And yesterday, we're talking about SmackDown. I know the latest Wrestle Rant Radio went up a little bit later. We only talked about TakeOver in Brooklyn, or rather, TakeOver in Brooklyn in SummerSlam from last week, so be sure to check out that episode for my full thoughts, on-site reports for SummerSlam and TakeOver. Some thoughts on Raw mixed in as well. So today we're talking Raw, we're talking SmackDown, Cruiserweight Classic, and NXT from this past week. Um, hopefully we do fill up the whole hour with my thoughts on the shows, just because although it's a lot of content to talk about, um, a lot of these shows, I mean mostly Raw, was just very cut and dry with the exception of the ending, the amazing ending that saw Kevin Owens crown the new WWE Universal Champion. So I can't wait to talk about that and give my two, th- my two cents on uh, KO Mania running wild starting on Monday's Raw as the new Universal Champion. But in the meantime, though, before we get started, uh, a few cheap plugs, uh, mostly my where you guys can find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GS.Matthews on YouTube as well. I finally caught up with all the upload schedule, all the videos that were supposed to go up, the random video blog, hashtag AskUSM, the WrestleRants, the WWE Network and Chill videos, all that stuff should be up to date at this point. So be sure to check out all the videos up on the channel and subscribe as well at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews, so I look forward to uh, uploading more videos in the future, and a lot of the SummerSlam videos I took, I mean, you saw little snippets of that in the random video blog in the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Experience video blog from this past weekend, I uploaded little snippets of each video that I took, but I'll try to upload each one in their entirety at some point in the next few weeks when I get a little bit uh, less busier, but anyway... So before we get started here, I want to jump right into Raw, but before I do, I do want to talk about this one news item. So I recorded WrestleRant Radio on Monday of this week, from last week, but I recorded a little bit later, or a lot later than usual. Um, but one news item that I did want to cover that I did not get to talk about at that time, I know Mr. Fuji passed away, I talked about that on Monday, was Alberto Del Rio reportedly leaving the WWE as soon as possible. So here's the thing with Del Rio, he got suspended... A little less than a month ago, uh, for violating the WWE wellness policy, only days before SummerSlam, it was never said what he was suspended for. I mean, we never find out that kind of thing. It wasn't even rumored. I know Eva Marie went out and said that she was suspended for Adderall or late paperwork, whatever the hell it was. Uh, Del Rio is yet to issue a statement. Page the same thing. They're just kind of um, pretty much low-key, not talking about it at all on their social media pages and whatever else. But even beyond that, it's just funny just because there is a clip on the channel, on the YouTube channel, from I think three or four weeks ago, and we had Jamie on the show a few weeks before SummerSlam, and I asked him, point blank, do you think Del Rio and Sheamus, uh, probably not Sheamus at this point, but do you think Del Rio and Sheamus could be on their way out of the company by the end of 2016? Now, Sheamus is currently involved in the whole Best of Seven series with Cesaro. He's won his last two matches against Cesaro. Good for him. That's a good little use of Sheamus for the time being. I couldn't care less about the guy, but at least they're doing something with him on Raw. Del Rio has just been floundering for months, pretty much ever since he came back. And I'll kind of rewind and talk about his past year in the WWE in a moment. But he has been doing nothing of note in many, many months. Probably since League of Nations broke up, he has done nothing of note, really. And uh, reportedly, he might be on his way out of the company as soon as this month, or next month, or whatever. Um, when he came back late last year at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, he, he reportedly signed a one-year deal with WWE, and he had an uh, out clause in his contract that if he wasn't happy or whatever, that he could just leave. And it seems like he's not happy creatively with his character or the direction his character is currently taking, which, can you blame the guy? I mean, they brought him back, presumably for a main event level push. I know we only had one brand at that time. We did not have the two brands. And maybe if we if he was brought back now, he would probably be getting a bigger push just with two separate brands. And that's when he was you know at the peak of his push five years ago, when he was the face of SmackDown, WWE Champion on Raw, World Heavyweight Champion on SmackDown, 
And once, really, once the brand split disappeared, they did nothing with him. Throughout all of 2014, the guy was a total waste on the roster before he got fired, quit, whatever, whatever, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, in August of 2014, two years ago. So anyway, they bring him back um, just last year to have him beat John Cena clean in a five to eight minute match. It wasn't very long at all for the United States Championship, paired them with Zeb Coulter, which was a mistake from the get-go because the two had zero chemistry. And it was really all downhill from there. He really was not much different than he was the first time around. And I like Del Rio. I was a big proponent of Del Rio's push five years ago just because he was a fresh face in the main event scene. He had a lot of good matches and fresh feuds with John Cena, with Randy Orton, with uh, CM Punk, and a few others as well. Even the matches he had with Big Show were really, really good. But it got to a point where it felt like he wasn't really evolving his character. The whole babyface thing didn't really work out the way they thought it would. And really, from the get, it seems like the common theme with Del Rio, the common theme with Del Rio dating back five, six years ago, is that they have always promised him a main event level push as their top Latino babyface heel, whatever. And it has yet to really surface. I mean, they put the world title on him for a time in 2011 and again in 2013 as world heavyweight champion. But he was never really the guy. He was never really that top Latino star. And it made no sense to me when they brought him back last year. Um, as the new, as the next top Latino star, just because they already have Kalisto, who they've tried to push and they bomb. Not really Kalisto's fault, just kind of the his. I mean, the, the the awful promo that he cut of the draft was his fault. But prior to that, though, his lackluster booking as United States champion was entirely creative team's fault. But anyway, they already have the tools in the next Latino star in Kalisto. So why bring back someone from the past who's already really done it all? And I know I might sound, you know, hypocritical or it might be double standards because I've, you know, said in the past, bring back Benjamin, bring back MVP, Kennedy, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like those guys never really got their just due. And maybe they wouldn't be world champion if they were brought back. But Del Rio, we've already seen him as world champion four times now. A former two-time U.S. champion. Uh, we saw him do the whole stable thing with League of Nations, which was a complete waste of time and really got no one over in the end. That was a total waste. And even Wade Barrett himself said that the primary purpose of that group was to get Roman Reigns over. And I don't even know, even know if it was successful doing just that. I mean, they feuded with Roman Reigns, sure, but they, did, they, did they really get him over with the audience? Not really. Uh, he just kind of squashed him and that was it. There wasn't really anything new for the Roman Reigns character at that point. Um, but anyway, though, so it looks like Del Rio is, is, on, is on his way out of WWE sooner rather than later, probably as soon as this month in September. And honestly, I saw the news break. I think it was either during Raw or SmackDown. I saw someone tweet it. I saw it come out again over the over the past week on various websites. Uh, it was, I think, pretty much confirmed by the Wrestling Observer newsletter that after being taken off several WWE dates, even past his suspension, it looks like he will be gone sooner rather than later. And to kind of confirm or... Debunk the theories about Paige leaving too with Del Rio. Unless she quits, or even not if she quits, unless they fire her, she isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, reportedly, she is under contract until 2019, so that's another two and a half years, three years down the line, so she's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but Del Rio, though, it's really a shame. I could not care less. I saw that, and I barely batted an eyelash when I saw the report of him reportedly leaving. Again, it's not really his fault. Um, or I mean, maybe it is. I mean, I saw the report that I saw from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted that Triple H had heat on him, which had been going back weeks, even prior to his suspension, because he partied too hard, he was not a good influence on Paige, blah, blah, blah. And does that surprise me? Maybe a little bit, I'm not exactly sure. But again, it's a shame, because they thought they really could have done something with the guy when they brought him back a year ago and did the whole thing with John Cena. He was really a star for a night. He got a big reaction, and I think it was... Los Angeles, um, when he was brought back at Hell in a Cell, I just got finished rewatching that pay-per-view a few days ago, and it was really all downhill from there. No one gave a crap about him as U.S. champion when, when he was with Zeb Coulter. No one gave a crap about him in League of Nations. He hasn't done anything since, really. He was left off Extreme Rules. He was left off Payback. He was in the Money in the Bank ladder match, but no one knew. No one thought he was going to win, so that was really a, uh, that was really a waste. I don't think he was at Battleground. He wasn't... I mean, obviously, he was suspended for SummerSlam, but no one, even prior to that point, though, he was not scheduled to compete at SummerSlam, and I don't think that would have changed. So it's a shame. Um, it looks like Del Rio will be gone from the company this month, and honestly, I really don't care. I think, and I've said this before, it's not that I hate Del Rio, because I was a huge fan of his, even a bigger fan of his here in the company I'm about to talk about than in WWE, in Lucha Underground. I thought he was killing it in the Mexican independent scene Last year, early 2015, I know he had a few Ring of Honor matches. I didn't see those. I was not watching Ring of Honor at that point in time. 
Um, but I heard he had a couple good matches with Christopher Daniels, with Jay Lethal, and then he came over to Lucha Underground in the spring of 2015. I thought he fucking killed it. I thought he had a great reign over there as Roberto El Patron. And I got to meet him last year at an indie event at Northeast Wrestling. He wasn't the greatest guy I've ever met, the nicest guy I've ever met, but he was still cool to say I've met a former WWE champion. But still, I thought he did some of his best work of his career in the last six years. Um, a lot better work in Lucha Underground than he ever did in WWE just because he felt motivated. He, he looked like he was happy. Um, I know they might not have been paying him what he wanted, and that's really the only reason why he came back to WWE, not because he's old pals with Vince or just home as he claims. The guy was, you know, frustrated when he left four years ago, or two years ago, rather. So it's not really his home. But, uh, yeah, I would love to see him go back to Lucha Underground. I don't know if that's in the cards. I don't know if he left in the best of terms. I don't know if he left AAA in the best of terms, just because uh, when he left the first time last year, when he came back to WWE... I don't know if he... He said that he told them, but he left as the AAA Mega Champion. Mega, AAA Champion, whatever the hell it's called. So, if they did indeed know, then why would they have kept the championship on him? I, I'm not exactly sure what that whole situation was about. So, I don't know if it's an option to go back there, go back to Lucha. Again, I don't know if he left in the best of terms, because he pretty much said, screw you, I'm going back to where I can make more money. But he did, and he's not really all that happy there. So, we'll see what the future holds for Del Rio, but... One thing is almost for certain, not 100% for certain, but almost for certain that he will be gone from WWE in the very near future. So that being said, that out of the way, let's get into the Monday Night Raw review from this past Monday night, October, October, I wish, uh, August 29, 2016, kicking off the show in a segment featured with Corey Graves interviewing the Fatal 4-Way Combatants in the main event, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, Big Cass, all the number one contenders to the new WWE Universal Championship each of them taking turns, you know, saying why they deserve to be champion, blah, blah, blah. We've seen this time and time again, but I love the direction, the approach they took here. Just because they didn't really have enough time to build up this match in the main event. They just did the qualifying matches last week. This was all sprung on WWE at the last minute. So you got to give them credit for at least trying to make the match meaningful. And they did. I thought the main event was excellent. I'll talk about that momentarily. But this did a really good job of establishing each guy's motives for wanting to become the next WWE Universal Champion. I thought the dick joke that uh, Big Cass made at Seth Rollins' expense was pretty funny. Uh, just considering the whole controversy with the nude photos from last year, that was pretty hilarious. But uh, Roman Reigns didn't say a single word, yet was still the last man standing. So nice little swerve for people thinking that he might win the main event. Kevin Owens was great. Rollins was really good here. Um, a nice sit-down interview. For, for, what it, for what it's worth, I remember four years ago, about four and a half years ago at this point, they did this, not sit-down interview, but stuff like this, when they have all the combatants sit down and talk about the upcoming title match, I feel like it's a lot more effective than anything else they could do, than having like one person come out, then another person come out, then another person come out. I always feel like that's so cliche. But you have the guys sit down all in a little circle or in a row, whatever, all talking about why they want to become the next world champion, I feel like is so much more effective than doing that. Um, just because each person gets their time to talk. Roman Reigns, who is not the greatest talker anyway, I guess it was, it was it was better that he didn't speak in this segment. But I remember a segment they did about four and a half years ago on Raw with six guys leading up to the Raw WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, obviously. Um, it was a debate, is what they, what they called it. It featured, I think, <clears throat> I think, I think it featured Dolph Ziggler, R Truth, CM Punk, The Miz, Chris Jericho, and did I say Dolph Ziggler? Dolph Ziggler, Miz, R Truth, CM Punk, Jericho, and Kofi Kingston was the last guy. Um, and it was really good. I thought it was hilarious, just because each guy <clears throat> was able to was able to speak their piece and kind of talk about why they wanted to become the next WWE champion, blah, blah, blah. And it was hilarious, too. They all worked off each other really, really well, which I thought was the case here, too. So this segment kind of reminded me of that and, uh, and, and a great way to hype up the main event matchup for later on in the night. They would also air vignettes for each guy in the matchup leading up to the main event. <coughs> Excuse me. Leading up to the main event with um, kind of focusing on each guy and why they should have been the WWE Universal Champion, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, we've seen the same thing with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns in the past leading up to their Money in the Bank match a couple months ago and talking about why they should be WWE Champion, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it was cool to kind of get that video package on Big Cass and Kevin Owens, something that you don't really ordinarily see because they're not, <clears throat> they're not like typical, regular guys in the main event scene. 
especially for Big Cass, someone that we don't really know much about as a single star, and he kind of was thrust into the main event picture at the last possible second, which I don't think it's a regular thing going forward. I feel like they just wanted to get that new era blood in the match. Um, I feel like Sami, Sami Zayn could have sufficed, but whatever. Um, still, I thought the video packages they played throughout the night for all four guys were really, really well done and definitely made me that much more excited for the main event Universal Championship match later on in the night. After that, we had a great match between Chris Jericho and Neville on Raw, which I thought as good of a match as it was from Jericho. Much more a breakout performance from Neville is what I thought this match really accomplished. Just between his match with Kevin Owens last week and the match with Jericho this week, really showing how underrated this guy really is in the ring. I mean, that's pretty much been known for a while how amazing of a wrestler Neville is, but I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough just because he's so goddamn good. And I know we talked about it maybe a year and a half ago, almost two years ago here on the show with RJ. There was a clip on the channel if you go if you dig, you know, deep enough to find it. Like I said, it's probably from late twenty fourteen, early twenty fifteen. As far as whether Neville would have a ceiling in terms of how far it could go on the main roster due to small size. And they'll probably, you know, throw him in the cruiserweight division. I hope they don't. I hope they relegate the cruiserweight division for guys from the cruiserweight class because Neville is so much better than that. I know I would probably put the cruiserweight championship on him. I've been a big proponent of that in the past when people have talked about it and asked me about it on hashtag AskGSM and stuff like that. But after last week in the match with Owens and the match this week with Chris Jericho, the guy is just really, really good and another reminder why they should be doing more with him. I have no idea why he's not in the U.S. Championship picture right now. Unless they continue Reigns and Rusev, which is fine. I would love to see Neville be the one to beat Rusev. Um, and maybe it's not believable. Neville's a small guy, but Rusev, he's not exactly Brock Lesnar, but he is a dominant force. I would still love to see Neville be the one to beat Rusev. And let's talk about this match for a second, because these two have had matches before. They have some history. Neville and Jericho first faced off at Beast in the East last July in Japan, that great WWE Network special, and had an amazing match there. They had a rematch <clears throat> They had a rematch many months later that I had high hopes for on Raw in March of this year, right before WrestleMania. Um, I think because Neville was going to be in the IC, uh, IC Championship ladder match or whatever with... Uh, Miz and Ziggler, Owen, Zayn, all those guys. And then he got hurt in that match with Jericho. So I thought it was a bit weird. I thought it was a big missed opportunity here for Jericho to not take credit for the, being the one that injured Neville in that match earlier this year. I thought that could have been really the, you know, the the foundation for a feud between these two. And they could still feud, and I really hope they do. Because now that I think about it, now that I think about it, now that Kevin Owens is the new WWE Universal Champion, what is Jericho going to do? Maybe he inter, you know involves or gets involved or interferes in his defense of the Clash of Champions pay-per-view, which is entirely possible, but he could still do that even if he has another match on the show. And I would love to see Jericho and Neville have, you know, more matches. And Jericho won clean here, so I don't know what the purpose would be in a rematch. It's not like he cheated the win. At least I don't think so. Um, but again, going back to the match back in March, though, I was a bit disappointed just because it was barely getting into, the into that next gear before Neville got abruptly injured. Something and shit. Like, I was really hoping for a great match, but we got that great match on this show. And I thought it was exceptional. Like, these two work really, really well together, which should come as no surprise due to Neville's small size. And Jericho has always worked better um, with people that are smaller than him. People like Daniel Bryan, Neville, and so many others. And uh, I thought this was another really excellent match between the two. Easily their best bout to date. Uh, Jericho has been just killing it this run. And he's not only putting people over, but he's also... I mean, he put over Roman Reigns last week, but he's picking up his fair share of victories, too. I mean, he's beaten... Sami Zayn a number of times, he's beaten AJ Styles on a number of occasions as well, he beat Neville, he beat Cesaro a few, on a few occasions too, so the guy has victories, he has, you know, he's not just putting over people every single match that he has this run, he's not losing every match that he's involved in, which is cool, um, but I think it's great, so he had a really, really good match with Neville here, but like I said, at the end of the day, this was more so a breakout performance for Neville than anything else. And really, I hope it was an eye-opening performance to the point where WWE officials recognize what they have in this guy and they don't continue to waste him. I wrote an article maybe about a month or so ago when Neville first came back about how he was really kind of the Evan Bourne, the new version of Evan Bourne, and that he's kind of known for the flippity doo dies who Jericho also had a lot of great matches with back in the day about five, six years ago. But... Evan Bourne was mostly relegated to undercard stuff, not really having full-fledged feuds. He would pick up a win here and there, a lot like Neville. But more often than not, they never really did much with him. And they finally gave him his big break as tag team champion with Kofi Kingston, but he fucked up and got suspended after doing pot and whatever. Synthetic weed or whatever the hell it was. He got busted twice. He got suspended twice. It fucked over Kofi for a while, too. 
But anyway, though, um, I think that Neville is better than that. And Matt Seidel is a great performer, too, and they really wasted him um, during his time with the company. So I hope the same thing doesn't happen to Neville just because he's a really good wrestler. And after the matches with Kevin Owens last week and the match with Jericho this week, that they realize what they have in this guy and they start pushing him ASAP. After that, we had Nia Jax versus Hyann, I think is how you pronounce it. Another squash, uh, pretty much as short of a match as, as her opponent's name, uh, Nia Jax's opponent's name. So, pretty much a typical squash. Hopefully, they kind of move her into a, a full-fledged program in the near future. But with who, though? That's the real question, because I was thinking about that on Monday. In SmackDown's women's division, which I've been, you know, uh, I've been touting and I've been praising for weeks now, is great and much more superior to Raw's, in my opinion, just because Raw has a few different issues. But even if they didn't, I feel like they just don't have the same depth as SmackDown does. SmackDown... And Raw probably has even more depth because they have a lot more established people. Now they have Bailey, they have Charlotte, Sasha, they have, uh, you know, they have Charlotte as well. Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Paige. They have a number of established, you know, people and former champions, but they don't have. I don't know. It's just weird. I feel like SmackDown has really been making a lot out of so little with the women that they have. And Raw, on the other hand, you have Nia Jax, which is good. Charlotte's currently feeding with Bailey. Sasha's out. Uh, Sasha's out with a currently. Is, Sasha's out at the moment with a back injury, reportedly. Uh, Paige is suspended. You have Summer Rae and um, Alicia Fox, but they haven't wrestled in God knows when, and they mean nothing anyway. So if they could build those women up, maybe they could mean more and be a suitable, you know, a feud for uh, Nia Jax. Who knows? But um, I thought this was fine. Hopefully, they can continue on in this direction until they can find some uh, solid direction for Nia Jax on Raw. Speaking of squash matches, Sami Zayn beating Jinder Mahal up next in a fine little match. Jinder Mahal, if you couldn't already tell, was brought back merely to serve as an enhancement talent, as he should. He really should not be more than that. But uh, as I've said in the past, I really wish they would just bring back someone who I care about anyway as a jobber. I'd rather see them bring back a Santino type. Not Santino himself. He's retired anyway. But someone like that. Jinder Mahal never really did anything for anyone. No one gives a crap if he gets beat or not. Um, if they brought back a jobber from the past that people probably cared about, which I know is kind of far and few between, I think it would work a lot better than, I don't know, than what they're doing right now with Jinder, who I just could not bring myself to care about whatsoever. But a nice win for Sami Zayn to rebound from the loss from last week against Seth Rollins, and I hope they continue to do something with Sami Zayn in the future. Um, not that he's been floundering, but they really have not found uh, a real direction for Sami since the feud with KO ended, and I hope they eventually... They do something with Sami Zayn in the meantime, because when he eventually does rekindle that rivalry with Kevin Owens, hopefully over that world championship, um, they could really make some money, make some amazing magical moments and matches uh, over that championship and the matches they could have. But first, they got to have Sami Zayn doing something. They just can't have him floundering around beating Jinder Mahal and you know Jack Swagger every single week. They have to have him beating credible people in a feud with uh, Jericho, who's free at the moment, I think would be great. After that, we have the New Day teaming up with Bailey to take on the club and Dana Brooke, who is still as awful as ever in the ring, but she does make a hot nurse, so I will say that much. But the match was fun. I was a big fan of this match just because, uh, for a few different reasons. One, it limited Dana Brooke, who is, like I said, absolutely awful. But when you put her in the ring with the club, and they're doing most of the in-ring work, then you're fine. So it's not all that bad. So I thought that was good. And also because of the amazing chemistry that New Day and Bailey have together, which I think is great too. Uh, they work extraordinarily well together. Their characters are great. And I love how they're kind of <clears throat> they're kind of going back to the original Bailey character that we had in NXT, where she's kind of awestruck of the names that are bigger than her. Like I remember I remember in NXT, like her debut segment backstage, she was in awe of Dusty Rhodes, the GM at that time. She was in awe of Ric Flair, Charlotte's dad when she had her debut match against Charlotte, believe it or not. Uh, but I thought it was great that she was backstage and she was in awe of the New Day and then she came out she was like wearing a backpack backstage like I'm, I'm very glad they're going back to the original origins of the Bailey character because the leader that she was in the women's division at the end in NXT is great but I feel like they should, they should kind of start from scratch not completely ignore the fact that she was NXT women's champion obviously I'm happy they're acknowledging the history with the four horsewomen and between Bailey and uh, Charlotte which is great but I'm glad it's the little things they're kind of going back to and making Bailey, this uh, this amazing role model for kids, you know, like for little girls and stuff, and having her wear the backpacks and the uh, and, and the hair bands and the armbands and stuff like that, and, you know, whatever else. Like the little things about the Bailey character is what makes her so great. I'm glad they're kind of continuing on with that. And with the New Day, some people might say they're stale, they're not funny anymore. But as soon as you th you, you throw someone else in that act, whether it be a Sasha Banks or a Bailey or whoever, Seth Rollins, they're automatically fresh and funny again. I thought the segments they had. 
you know, before the match, after the match, if you check out their Fallout video, I thought that was pretty hilarious too with Bailey and the New Day. So I hope this is not the last time that we have the Bailey and New Day connection on Monday Night Raw because they are just phenomenal together. So after that, we had match two in the best of seven series between Sheamus and Cesaro. Um, another really good match, and my main fear of when this series started, and it might still be a fear down the line, but so far it's been doing pretty well. They've been doing pretty well with it was that they wouldn't switch up the formula of the matches. They would just kind of have the same match over and over and over, and it would just kind of grow tiresome. So far, so good in kind of switching that up, and so far they've had uh, two back-to-back -back really good matches telling a different story each time, and a different story than they were telling the first two matches they had before the series even started, which is good. Um, Achimus came out of this looking good, scoring the second straight victory over Cesaro. Uh, Cesaro had a good match. He had a good showing here, getting injured, not legitimately injured, but uh, teasing an injury after getting thrown in the ring post, which was a great-looking spot, and Sheamus is probably now more relevant now, you know, more relevant now than he has been in many months, so good for him, but uh, another good match in the Best of Seven series with uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. Sheamus leads 2-0. After that, another squash from Braun Strowman, defeating Americo. Short, sweet, and to the point. Really can't say much more about it than that. Um, a lot like Nia Jax, I hope they find real direction for him in the near future, but again, with who? That's the real question. I don't want to see him feeding with like a Sami Zayn where I know he's going to get beat, where I know Sami Zayn's going to get beat, or Neville where I also know he's going to get beat. Um, and Neville's not really a threat to Braun Strowman size-wise at this point anyway, so that's probably not going to work. So I guess maybe Swagger, who I know people don't really care about, but he's a former world champion for whatever the hell that's worth, even if people don't remember it. But um, he's much more credible than America or you know all the other jobbers they've been uh, parading around, which is good. I like the squash matches, which I've talked about before when they first started doing them. I was praising the hell out of them because it's something different for WWE. We don't ordinarily see that with these kind of people with this company, you know, with uh, with the Braun Strowman types and the Nia Jax types. I think it's perfect for those kind of characters. So well, hopefully we see more of that in the future. But uh, hopefully they do find direction at some point as well in the near future too. Paul Heyman apologizing to Stephanie McMahon up next and also paying the fine, the $500 fine, the chump change fine for Brock Lesnar's attack on Randy Orton at SummerSlam and subsequent F5 to Shane McMahon. This whole thing was really weird. I was kind of half paying attention during this segment. I wasn't really listening just because I don't really care. I love Paul Heyman, but it's just, I don't know, whatever's been going on here with Stephanie in this face-to-face -face conversation or this confrontation and the angle they're probably trying to do here, I just, I don't get it. I don't know why they're doing it. I understood when Stephanie fined Shane 500 bucks. I got that. I thought it was good. Or not Shane, fine Shane, fine Lesnar for F5 and Shane 500 bucks. Because $500 is nothing to Brock Lesnar. And that's the whole point. Because Shane, you know, is not really too fond of Stephanie and vice versa. So, of course, Stephanie's not going to find him a shitload. Because she doesn't really care that she brutalized, that he brutalized Brock Lesnar. Or brutalized Randy Orton and Shane McMahon. You know what I mean? So I understood that, but then again, why would she be legitimately mad at Paul Heyman if he did exactly what she wanted him to do? So this whole thing is kind of getting out of control. They teased on SmackDown 2 that we might be getting a future confrontation between Brock Lesnar and uh, Brock Lesnar and Shane McMahon, which I also don't, I'm not really looking forward to. I don't really see the purpose in that. So I don't know where this angle is going. I can't really say I care. It's not like I walked away from this like, oh, I can't wait to see where this goes next, just because this segment just... It didn't really make me much more intrigued than I already was, which wasn't really all that much to begin with. I think more so than anything else, it really just confused me as to where this angle's going, just because what's the end game supposed to be here? Like, Paul Heyman going babyface? Like, what's... If he's not a babyface already? Like, that's the part that confuses me. So maybe they are building to a Lesnar-McMahon match, a Lesnar-Shane McMahon match, not Stephanie or Vince, thank God, or even Linda, but uh, a Shane-Lesnar match which I'm not really a fan of. I've talked about it before just because I don't really see the need in it. Shane's not a full-time guy. Uh, he'd get squashed in 30 seconds. If Orton could get squashed in five minutes, then what the hell kind of chance does Shane stand? You know what I mean? Because he's not a real full-time in-ring active competitor. So I'm not exactly sure. I don't know where this is going, and I can honestly tell you right now, I'm not really all that invested. After that, we had Darren Young versus Titus O'Neil in another throwaway match in a match that no one really could care less about. Um, I just don't get it. I just don't know where this feud is going. I don't know why it's happening. I, I, I like both guys. O'Neal as a heel really isn't all that fitting for him. I think he's a much better babyface. Just reunite the primetime players and get it over with. I feel like these two as single stars is not really working out. People don't care about the matches. The matches aren't that good. The segments are shit. Like, the segment last week was atrocious. That was awful. So I would just reunite these two at some point. I mean, they already kind of did the whole primetime players reunion 
um, about two, three weeks ago. But that's that's what I would do, just because they're not really cutting the mustard in terms of uh, in terms of facing each other in a feud. I'd rather just having teaming together um, as partners. They've always been much better partners than rivals, and this is I think the third or second or third time we've seen this rivalry. Anyway, they've done the feud before in NXT. They did it before on Raw, a few, or on SmackDown a few years ago. Now they're doing it again on Raw. So uh, I don't think anyone really cares at this point, unfortunately. And then we get to the main event, a fatal four-way elimination match to crown the new WWE Universal Champion. Not the first WWE Universal Champion, as Stephanie McMahon mistakenly said, but the second WWE Universal Champion. The match consisted of Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns, Big Cass, and Seth Rollins. Um, even disregarding the finish for five seconds, I thought the match itself was just freaking great. Um, one of the better Raw matches in some time. I always feel like these number one contender matches on Raw are awesome. Like, we had a similar four-way, I think, the night after WrestleMania with, I believe, Owens, AJ, Cesaro, and Jericho. And that was a great match. This match was no exception. Um, Big Cass held his own here. No one really wanted to see him win the world championship, nor should he have. It is way too early. I wouldn't put the world title on him, period, just because I don't think he's world championship material. Maybe he will be years down the line. I'm not exactly sure. But for right now, he's not. But that being said, he did hold his own here very well. Um, had a good showing before getting eliminated by Kevin Owens via a frog splash from the top rope, or a bullfrog splash, as Kevin Owens calls it. So then it comes down to Owens, Rollins, and Reigns, some great near falls. And again, I had my money on Rollins or Reigns winning, not because they wanted them to win, but just because they seem like you know the safe choices or the predictable choices. And uh, WWE ultimately did not take the predictable path for once, which was uh, very refreshing and amazingly great. So here's what they did. So they have Rollins and Reigns going at it on the outside. KO's on the outside too, somewhere else. But uh, Reigns is beating up on Seth Rollins. I think spears him on the outside. And then out comes Triple H, who we have not seen other than that two-second appearance after one of the Cruiserweight Classic matches with Cedric Alexander and Kota Ibushi, which was not really Triple H, but more so Paul Levesque. Um, this is the first time that we've seen Triple H in storyline, keyword there, in storyline, since WrestleMania 32, when he got beat by Roman Reigns. So, um, a grand return by the game on Monday Night Raw, helping Seth Rollins eliminate Roman Reigns with the pedigree. Then looking to set up KO for the same thing before turning on Seth Rollins, hitting him with a pedigree, laying him out, and then helping KO pick up the victory and become the new WWE Universal Champion. So, a lot going on here. So, Triple H and Seth Rollins are no longer a thing. KO is the new world champion. And thirdly, Roman Reigns is not, which I think is even better. Or Big Cass, which is also good too. But uh, again, I really thought they would take the predictable path here in putting the championship on either Rollins or Reigns, and I'm very happy they didn't do it. And they're trying something new. Owens has been long overdue. I mean, I hate to say long overdue just because he's been here for only a little over a year, a year and a half at this point. But he has just been killing it since he showed up a year and a half ago. The matches with Cena, the matches with Cesaro, Dean Ambrose, Sami Zayn, they've all been amazing. And I'm really glad they're finally giving this guy something fresh, something new to do, um, and giving him the reins to run Raw as the new Universal Champion. And I feel like there was no one better for that role right now than him. Now I know there is that, you know, not the gripe, but that fear among fans right now. Some fans, not a lot of fans, but some fans, that Triple H will ultimately overshadow Owens as champion, which I hope is not the case. But I wouldn't put the, I wouldn't put it past the company because we've seen it before. He overshadowed Orton as champion when he held the belt, a part of the Authority years ago. We saw it when Seth Rollins was champion, not you know as much as Orton, but still to an extent. You had the Authority hanging over Rollins his entire reign as world champion. Um, so I hope the same thing is not said for Kevin Owens. I don't really want an Authority 2.0 like a full-on faction, but I am fine with Triple H and Kevin Owens as an alliance. And if they can kind of bring up the NXT roots and saying that Triple H has always been high on Kevin Owens, but he thought that Seth Rollins was the future, and he was, but now he's the past and KO is the future, I think they could have, you know, the uh, the foundation for an amazing, phenomenal feud here between these two, from, uh, between Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, as well as building to uh, the bigger picture between Seth Rollins and Triple H way down the line. And I've said this a couple times in the last few days, but I really don't think that people are... I mean, as great as it is that KO is champion, it's an amazing moment... But I really don't think people realize how big of a moment it is that Rollins and Triple H, that Triple H just turned on Seth Rollins. This has you know roots dating back to two and a half years ago when Triple H first joined up with Seth Rollins and they first formed the Authority or had him join the Authority, whatever. This has roots dating back years, people, like a long-ass time. And even before that, Seth Rollins was semi-a-part of the Authority when it first started about three years ago. 
So these guys have a plenty of history together. So I think it should be treated as a big deal that Triple H and Seth Rollins are no longer a unit. And it's also the first time that we've seen them on TV together, um, on TV, like in WWE programming and storylines anyway, since Rollins got hurt about a year and a half ago. And even at that point, even when Rollins got hurt, he wasn't really associating himself with the authority at that point anyway. Um, when he had to vacate the belt, I don't think he was on Raw. I'm pretty sure he just kind of gave up the championship and he didn't show up for Raw that week because they were in England. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, but even before that, they really weren't doing much with Rollins and Triple H. They were already building to a match at WrestleMania anyway from what it looked like. It seemed to me that the, the main event of WrestleMania all along was going to be Roman Reigns versus Triple H. But the seeds of dissension were planted between Seth Rollins and Triple H, dating back you know, throughout the entirety of the summer of 2015, and now we're finally getting it. So um, I'm anxious to see where this goes next. I thought it was a great angle, an amazing swerve. For once, WWE did something that no one was really expecting. Some people might have thought that KO was going to win the championship, but no one thought that Triple H would return to help him win said championship. So good shit. I thought this was a great you know, ending to Raw, one of the best endings in a while. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Seth Rollins' is a baby face is also long overdue. KO is world champion is long overdue. I'm not going to see that Triple H being back is long overdue, but um, I'm not a huge Triple H being on TV all the time kind of guy. But if they are using him effectively and putting over Kevin Owens or giving the rub to Kevin Owens and building that bigger match between Triple H and Seth at WrestleMania 33, then I'm all for it. So overall, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, what an amazing episode of Raw. It wasn't that great. It was a good show, all things considered. That third hour was kind of dragging. Uh, the Heyman and Stephanie stuff was very confusing. Like I said, Young and O'Neal, I did not give two shits about. Um, and that was pretty much the third hour. But the rest of the show was pretty solid, I thought. The New Day and Bailey stuff I thought was great. Sheamus and Cesaro had another good match. Jericho and Neville was awesome. The opening segment was really good. So all things considered, it was a good to very good show. With a phenomenal finish in the main event and uh, an amazing main event matchup and a great closer too. So uh, a good show and SmackDown managed once again, found a way to top it with another really good show on Tuesday. And SmackDown has been absolutely killing it since uh, the start of the brand extension. We talked about this before on WWEC Radio. And that even before the brand extension, SmackDown was really bringing its A-game um, throughout the entirety of 2016 and being on the sci-fi, or not the sci-fi, not being on the sci-fi network, but rather being on the USA Network. On Thursdays, they were really putting forth a great effort every single week, despite not having, you know, the greatest furthering of storylines and storyline progression and stuff like that. Because WWE didn't really treat SmackDown as a priority at that point, but they are now, which is good. So we kicked off the show with The Miz and Dolph Ziggler in a heated confrontation. The Miz kind of continuing on with his rant from last Tuesday and talking smack, which I alluded to this past week on Wrestle Rant Radio, uh, kind of continuing on, continuing on with that rant. About how the whole how he's not a coward, the whole safe style. He's going to become the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. He's made that title relevant again. Blah 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 blah. Awesome intensity, no pun intended, but awesome intensity from the Miz here. Um, and I was fearful. I talked about it on I think hashtag AskGSM or whatever on Monday, Tuesday, whatever it was earlier this week that I was you know very fearful that they would not continue on with this angle with the Miz and that what they did last Tuesday was merely a one and done type deal and maybe that was the original plan I don't know if the plan was ever to really do um have Miz take on this new direction that they've had him going in for the past week and a half with him taking on this new serious approach to his character and I think it's great as entertaining as the A-lister douche Miz is um it's not as money making again no pun intended as this Miz is, because people now really want to see him get his ass kicked, and they booed the hell out of him when he walked out of the fight with Dolph Ziggler, later leading to the match being named, or being officialized for a backlash for the Intercontinental Championship Miz versus Ziggler, a match that we've seen multiple times before, and I thought Ziggler was good here in the mic too, um, but it's really hard to, man, it's, it's really hard to take Ziggler seriously, because as I talked about in the last edition of WrestleRant Radio, after he lost clean at SummerSlam, it's like people just kind of gave up on the guy. Not that they've to say that they really haven't already given up on him already. That's a thing. Because they feel like they have, and myself included. Um, his days as the main eventer are really done at this point. But he is good at a mid-card level. We've seen Miz and Ziggler a million times before. But on the bright side, they always work well together. This promo was really, really good. You know, Hopefully, it's just another stepping stone for Miz. You know, continuing on his Intercontinental Championship reign. If he does drop the belt to Dolph Ziggler, what a waste. Because the guy is good. But I really have no desire to see Ziggler as IC champion for fourth time, fifth time, whatever the hell it might be. Miz is a five-time Intercontinental Champion, but I feel like right now he is doing the absolute best work of his career. 
And to cut that momentum short by having him drop the championship to Ziggler would be a huge waste. Why even bother? So hopefully that's not in the cards, but still a good, solid, very good, solid, uh, very good, solid segment from Miz and Ziggler to open SmackDown this week. Up next in the quarterfinal match in the SmackDown Tag Team Championship Tournament, the Hype Bros taking on the Vaude Villains in a very enjoyable match. I think the Hype Bros don't get the credit they deserve for being not as great as they are in the ring, but they do work very well together. They've kind of found this weird chemistry as a unit over the past year and a half since they initially joined forces in NXT. Um, I think Zack Ryder looks more motivated than he's ever been. Mojo Raleigh is good in the tag team role, and they're just doing really, really well right now. I think the Vaude Villains might win because we were having, I think we have four babyface tag teams. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we have four babyface tag teams uh, colliding in the semifinals of the tournament. We have American Alpha and the Usos, who both advanced last week. And in the other half of the brackets, we have the Hyperos and Rhino and Slater. So we have four babyface tag teams, um, hopefully until the Usos go heel. But anyway, I thought this was a good match. Hyperos advanced and a good win for them. After that, we had AJ Styles coming out, claiming how he is the new face that runs the place and uh, taunting the fans and taunting John Cena, who was not there again, only to be interrupted by Apollo Crews, whose new gimmick is apparently spelling out things, which hopefully isn't for the long haul, because I don't think that's going to work out very well. But what he does lack in character development and in mic skills, he makes up for it with his great in-ring ability. I think this guy is a great wrestler. He's always been a great wrestler. It's just that extra character development. And I think he has a better chance of getting over and becoming much more of a threat with the brand split than he did before. Because before before the brand split, the guy was floundering like there was no tomorrow. There was you know nothing there with Apollo Crews. But... He does have the potential to be a big star down the line. So I thought this was a good match, uh, a good showing from Cruz. Mostly a showcase for AJ, but Cruz did get in some, uh, did get a bunch of offense over AJ with AJ scoring the victory clean. So good stuff there. I would love to see more of these two against each other down the line once Apollo Cruz is built up to mean a bit more than he is currently right now. Um, it's still a good match from these two. After that, we had the Sermon of the Serpent with Randy Orton Bray Wyatt. A really good segment, and first of all, a very creative title too, so whoever came up with that, two thumbs up. Um, but I thought this was good. I mean, I talked about in the beginning when it was first teased a few weeks ago that I liked the idea of a Randy Orton Bray Wyatt feud because if nothing else, it's something fresh. It's something that we've never seen before between Bray Wyatt and Orton. Um, in the three years that Bray Wyatt's been on the main roster, these two have yet to have not only a feud but a one-on-one -on -one match, which is really bizarre. I mean, they've had six-man tag team matches before on Raw. I know they did at one of the Raws that I was at about a year ago. They did Orton... Reigns and Ambrose versus the Wyatt family, which was cool. And Orton was kind of in this mist of a Wyatt family feud before he got hurt, actually, late last year. <clears throat> but uh, I think they have really have the makings of a good feud here between these two, because they, you know, given their crazy characters, their respective in-ring abilities, and the good match they could have a backlash. Hopefully, it's not boring. But I thought this was a step in the right direction. Wyatt's mic ability. I mean, his promo here was pretty much more of the same from his character. A lot of humbo, you know, mumbo jumbo, but. Orton was really good. Um, I, I think Wyatt was good, just kind of more of the same. And I think good for him is kind of like just predictable. But Orton could be hit or miss sometimes in the mic. I think ever since he came back from the injury late in July, um, he's appeared to be more motivated than ever, which is great. And he had a really good showing here on the mic too. So I'm looking forward to the match at Backlash, which was confirmed for the card, for the card excuse me, um, during this segment. So good stuff here between Orton and Wyatt. After that, we had, let me look at my lineup here, ba, 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 ba. we had Alexa Bliss and Natalya in tag team action against Becky Lynch and Naomi. Um, so again, more of the same from the women, another good match with Nikki Bella on commentary before getting ambushed, uh, blindsided from behind by Carmella. And I don't know if I talked about the last week, but I like the idea of a double turn between the two. Just because people might want to cheer Nikki Bella upon coming back, and Carmella, I feel like, has just been really not hitting the stride that she should be ever since coming up to the main roster. And she was kind of getting over in NXT before they called her up. But she just was not clicking as a babyface. So I feel like people might be able to get more behind her as a heel, which is good. But uh, yeah, good tag team match here. Alexa Bliss and Natalya scoring the victory. My only gripe with it, as they talked about my SmackDown review from this past week, is that I feel like Becky always gets distracted and rolls up. Like, it happens way too much. I guess it protects her, which is all right. That, that's all right, but uh, I don't know. I feel like we see the same finish with the last kicker all the time. It's like, when will she ever learn, you know? But still, a good match, though, and a good win for Alexa Bliss and uh, Natalia, too, I guess. But Alexa Bliss was the one who picked up the uh, pinfall victory. After that, our second quarterfinal match of the night in the SmackDown Tag Team Tournament. It was Heath Slater and Rhino taking on the Headbangers. Yes, the Headbangers. And I gave my two cents on this in hashtag Ask You Stem from this past week, but uh, 
a cool return. I mean, I was never a huge fan of the Attitude Era, or, uh, or at least specifically the 1998 year of WWE, which I know is when they kind of came up in the company, but it was cool to see them. They haven't been around for almost two decades, but uh, still a good little showing from the Headbangers. Um, they had a good showing here. I don't know what they've been doing for the past two decades, but they appear to be in shape. They had a nice outing here. Weren't really much of a threat, but I was glad that Slater and Rhino advanced, um, and, and a good win here for Slater and Rhino, so good stuff there. And I like the pairing of Heath Slater and Rhino. I think they can have um, a lot of good, fun chemistry together. I think as a tandem, they're going to work really well together. I wasn't a huge fan of the segments they did on this show with Heath Slater's family and his quote-unquote wife in the trailer. Like, that felt a little too stereotypical for me. I feel like Slater should just be an underdog-like character, not this redneck with, like, 20 children. I feel like that's way too much. But even that aside, I like the dynamic between Rhino and Slater. They work well together. I thought their segment on Talking Smack later on in the night. I didn't watch the whole show, but I did watch the clip that they did put up of them on, on the WWE YouTube channel later up on the night. Later on in the night, and I thought they just worked off each other. They bounced off each other very well with uh, just ideas and stuff like that, and just that dynamic I think is good. So um, I look forward to seeing Slater and Rhino advance in the SmackDown Tag Team Championship Tournament. Maybe they beat the Hype Bros. Actually, I expect them to. I expect them to beat the Hype Bros before maybe winning the whole thing. We could be seeing new tag team champions in Heath Slater and Rhino, which I would not complain about, which it keeps American Alpha in chase mode, maybe turn the Usos heel. And, um, yeah, I think Slater and Rhino could be some great tag team champions for SmackDown if they can continue on with this uh, little role they've been on as of late. And then in the main event, Baron Corbin taking on Dean Ambrose in a pretty good match. I'm glad that Baron Corbin, at least for one night, was involved in the main event picture. I think that's where the guy could be. Um, in due time if they continue to push him the right way. They haven't really been doing much with him. I was kind of surprised that, I mean, even before that, we had Kane versus the Milkman, which was bizarre, but it did tease a bit of a face-off between uh, Kane and Corbin as they passed each other in the ramps, kind of like a two ships passing in the night kind of deal, which I thought was good. I liked the idea of a Corbin-Kane match. I mean, I don't really care about too much about Kane in 2016. <clears throat> I don't really care too much about Kane in 2016, but it is a fresh feud. Hopefully Corbin is allowed to go over and does not lose to Kane. What a massive waste that would be. Um, and it's another credi you know, credibility builder for Baron Corbin. And I think they were probably going to do Baron Corbin and Kalisto at the Backlash pay-per-view because that's what the direction they seem to be going in at SummerSlam. But then I heard Kalisto got hurt. I just read this morning that Kalisto is currently injured, so that which is why he has not been on TV as of late, or at least since SummerSlam. So, which is also another reason why they're not doing Corbin and Kalisto at that pay-per-view. It's not like they're just forgetting about the match. They're just, uh, they just, you know, they, they're not continuing just because Kalisto's currently injured, which is fine. Um, but still a good match. Baron Corbin winning via disqualification after uh, interference from AJ Styles at ringside on commentary, which was good. But, um, yeah, Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles had a little face-off to close out the show. AJ chopping, you know, crotch-chopping AJ on the top rope, and he was there, I think, throughout the entire dark match, which is pretty funny. But, uh, and I think Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and John Cena all gave him a hard time during the dark match, which is pretty funny. So, um, AJ does comedy well, Dean Ambrose not so much, but I hope they don't take a comedy approach with this feud, just because they really think they can have some strong promos, you know, a la Ziggler and Ambrose, if they took a serious approach to it. Um, so here's hoping that's the case. We have one more SmackDown left until the pay-per-view, so I think they can have a kick-ass match. And like I've said before, I think it's imperative that AJ wins the WWE World Championship at the pay-per-view. Um, he is on a hot streak right now. I think they need to put the championship on him ASAP. It got to strike while the iron is hot with this guy. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they had Ambrose beat him or cheat to win or there's a DQ finish, count-up finish, whatever, to build to a title change at no mercy. But Ambrose is just not, simply put, he's not cutting the mustard as world champion. He's just not. So I think it's best to get the championship off him as soon as possible. He's been a decent world champ, but I think AJ would be killing it as the best wrestler in the on the in the entire company right now, in my opinion. Um, I think the guy should be world champion tomorrow, um, but probably as soon as Backlash come next Sunday. So I think it is imperative that AJ does win the world championship as soon as possible and keep the championship on him in the long term. Keep the championship on him until maybe the Rumble, WrestleMania even, I think would be even better. But the guy has deserved, after all these shortcomings versus Roman Reigns and uh, Jericho and and you know all those guys earlier on this year for the world championship, I think it is time, high time they put the championship on this guy at the Backlash pay-per-view next Sunday. So overall, good show. Enjoyed SmackDown probably even a little bit more than Raw overall. Um, but I think SmackDown continues to kill it every single week. 
We move forward here as we close out WrestleRant Radio with my brief thoughts on NXT and uh, the Cruiserweight Classic from this week, which was absolutely incredible. But from NXT, we had Ty Dillinger beating Buddy Murphy in a one-on-one match to kick off the show. Uh, Ty Dillinger, I can't remember the last time, if ever, that he has scored two back-to-back victories. It always seems like whenever he scores a win, regardless of whether it's over Solomon Crow, who I got to meet over the weekend, by the way, great dude, whether it's over Solomon Crow, and it's also his birthday today, too. Happy birthday to him. Whether it's either him, uh, Wesley Blake, Buddy Murphy, I always feel like Dillinger always scores a victory before ultimately jobbing out to whoever he loses at the next takeover. He never really gains, you know, consistent momentum in NXT. But hopefully that's about to change with two back-to-back victories and so many people getting called up as of late. It should be Dillinger's time to shine and hopefully get a title shot in the near future. I think Dillinger would be a great challenger for Nakamura. I don't know if he's much of a threat, but uh, those two could have a... I think they did have a match. They did have a match earlier on this year for... Not for the championship, but uh, right after Nakamura debuted. I think it was Nakamura's first NXT TV match. So, uh, again, a good match, and I look forward to Dillinger hopefully building momentum in the near future. The Revival attacking Tommaso Ciampa, who was cutting a promo backstage talking about Johnny Gargano's injury before they were in, before he was interrupted by the Revival, who dragged him to the in-ring area, to dragged him to the ring area, Beat the crap out of him in the middle of the ring before delivering the Shatter Machine to him in the middle of the ring as well. Uh, a good segment. I'm glad they're continuing on with this feud. Their match in, at TakeOver Brooklyn was so freaking good to not have a rematch. So it, it was way too good to not have a rematch. So I'm glad they're going in that direction, presumably. And it looks like they might be building to a Ciampa heel turn at some point, which would be pretty good. Um, a Ciampa Gargano, you know, tag team. Not the, the tag team's been great, but the feud could be even better, I think. And the matches they could have, if that one Cruiserweight Classic match was any indication. But yeah, anyway, really good stuff here. Probably the best thing on the entire show. Uh, Steve Cutler beating Kenneth Crawford. Steve Cutler's been a jobber in NXT for quite some time now. You've probably heard the name before. He's jobbed to, you know, Alex Riley, Nakamura, whoever. Um, you know, Finn Balor. So he's been in the show before. And he always loses, but this was his first win in NXT, a nice little win over Kenneth Crawford. He's not bad. He's just very generic. That's all. He's got a generic look. He's got a generic, you know, moveset, a generic finisher. Um, he's just kind of generic. He seems like a, a call, like a creative wrestler that you would make in a video game. You know, like one of the in one of the 2K video games. So hopefully they can continue to build upon that, give him more of a personality in the future, maybe build him up a bit more just because right now he's not really... He doesn't really stand out in any meaningful way. So hopefully it's in due time they do build him up. But on the bright side, though, despite him not being all that great, I am happy they are starting to build up the homegrown talent in NXT because it's been a long time coming. I mean, it's always great to have the Bobby Roods and Austin Aries and the Samoa Joes and the Shinsuke Nakamura's of the world. But at the same time, they need to continue building their own homegrown talent. And Steve Cutler is an exact example of that. So I'm glad they're starting to build him up, despite the fact that he might not be exactly ready as of right now. No Way Jose, another example of a homegrown talent, beating Angelo Dawkins in a pretty standard squash match. Uh, it looks like No Way Jose is headed towards a feud with Bobby Roode, which could be good. Another uh, placeholder feud for Bobby Roode until he eventually, you know, uh, reaches that NXT Championship picture, which hopefully shouldn't be too, too long. But uh, still a good match here. A nice little win for No Way Jose, despite you know him just kind of floundering at the moment until... The feud with Bobby Roode officially kicks off. Liv Morgan beating Aaliyah in a fine match. Again, another example of a woman who's not exactly ready yet. She's still pretty green, but it is good to see her score a victory her first time in NXT. Her first singles victory in NXT, anyway. And also the fact that um, she is, you know, it's, it's even more important for NXT NXT's women's division. Just because with Bailey getting called up, Nia Jax, Alexa Bliss, Carmella... That women's division in NXT needs as much talent as they can get. And they have talent. They have Liv Morgan. They have Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, Ember Moon now. They need to start building these women up to be the next Bailey, the next Sasha Banks, the next so-and-so. You know what I mean? So I'm glad they're starting to do that with Liv Morgan, uh, who is not exactly there yet. But she could be in due time with the right seasoning and the right push. So I'm glad she scored a victory here in a fine little match. Uh, and then to close out the show, we had Shinsuke Nakamura's homecoming as NXT champion. Got a great reception from the audience per usual. Um, a short and sweet promo talking about how much it meant to him to win the NXT Championship and that we are now living in the era of strong style in NXT. So a good promo to close off the show. Not really a newsworthy show, to be honest with you. It was kind of very cut and dry, not really as exciting as we were kind of used to pre-takeover. Um, I think the revival and Tommaso Ciampa stuff was really good. Always good to see Dillinger. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this episode is that while a lot of these people aren't that good yet, like Cutler and Liv Morgan, at least they're starting to make 
you know, they're starting to take their steps in building up their homegrown talent and building up new stars for NXT, especially in the absence of people like, you know, all the people they've called up, like the Sami Zayn's and soon-to-be Samoa Joe and everyone else. Now, Finn Balor, you know, people like that, Mojo Raleigh. So I'm glad they're taking those small steps in building up the future of NXT and also specifically the women's division, as I talked about earlier. So to close out the show, the Cruiserweight Classic, which immediately followed NXT on Wednesday night. Just an amazing episode, and dare I say the best episode yet. Um, with two quarterfinal matches in the Cruiserweight Classic, we had Grand Metallic taking on Akira Tozawa in an amazing match. I think both these guys are really, really good. Um, I've become a big fan of Akira since the start of this tournament. Um, he's been doing really, really well. Grand Metallic pretty much came out of nowhere. I thought Tajiri would beat him last time, and I thought Akira would beat him this time, but he scored the victory in both occasions and surprised the hell out of me, and I'm glad he did. Um, he's a really, really good wrestler, and I'm glad he scored the victory here. But yeah, just an amazing match. A lot of good counters. The crowd was into it. Akira hit that uh, sickening suplex that he's put away people with before, only to score a two-count. Grand Metallic you know, kicked out, scored the victory with his, a finisher of his own, to uh, advance in the tournament, so good for him and a great opening match. Only to be topped by the main event match between Kota Ibushi and Brian Kendrick, or rather, should I say, the Brian Kendrick. And another amazing out from these two, as you can only expect from uh, Ayabushi and Kendrick. And Kendrick's story, Ayabushi is an absolute star. But uh, like I said, was, you know, Cedric Alexander in the second final match, the second round matchup, that uh, you know his opponent, like he had a great story going, that he needed to win the Cruiserweight Classic. Kendrick was kind of the same thing. Um, you know, he screwed up his previous run of the WWE years ago. This was his, you know, second last chance in order to make uh, a great first impression with this company after two wins in the first two rounds of the tournament, only to advance the quarterfinals to the third round and fall short to Kodai Ibushi, <clears throat> to, to fall short to Kodai Ibushi after an amazing outing here. Um, no love lost between these two. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, bottom line, they need to sign Brian Kendrick. Despite the loss here... Yeah, but he had a strong showing, but despite the loss, they need to sign Brian Kendrick. And they probably already have. They already started airing vignettes for the Cruiserweight guys on Raw, which is great. They're probably signing well over half of the guys that were in the tournament this year, which is funny. But uh, as they should, I think those guys could make you know a great little, um, just the matches they could have on Raw every single week. And the matches, if they can have the same matches here on, on Raw as they are here, then Raw could be as good as gold with these guys kicking off the show every single week for a solid 20, 30 minutes. Um, so I thought Ayabushi and you know, Kendrick was one of, I don't know if it was the best match of the show so far, but it was definitely up there. Um, just a really good story told, an excellent match start to finish. Ayabushi advances to the semifinals, I believe against the winner of, I think either against Norm Dar. I forgot what the brackets look like exactly, but it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting. I think these guys can really kill it against each other um, in the second final, or rather the uh, the semifinals. Or no, this was uh, no yeah in the semifinals. This was the quarterfinals. But amazing match. But bottom line, like I said, Kendrick must be on Raw. This guy is great. The emotion he showed afterwards with Daniel Bryan in the post match in the. Fallout video afterwards on WWE's YouTube channel was excellent too. So this guy really does deserve a second chance at superstardom in WWE. Maybe not as an as a mid-card champion or whatever, but as a part of the Cruiserweight division, the guy should be there. He's just that goddamn good. So that's it, guys. That is the Cruiserweight Classic. Another amazing show. Probably the best episode to date overall, if I do say so myself. Just a really, really good show. And easily the best thing going in WWE right now. And I'm going to be a very sad person. When the show ends in a couple weeks. I think they have next week's quarterfinal matches. And then on the season finale in two weeks. On I think November or September rather uh, 14th. They will be having the uh, the semifinals and the finals on that show as well. And my early prediction that it, w- it will be Ayabushi versus Cedric. Not Cedric. We already had that. Uh, Kota Ayabushi versus uh, Zack Sabre Jr. in the finals. So I look forward to that match or whatever we might end up getting. But yeah, anyway, just a really, really good show. Love the Cruiserweight Classic. Love wrestling right now on the whole. And uh, I mean, like I said, it will be a sad day when the show ends in a few weeks with the finals and the semifinals and whatever. But we will have the Cruiserweight division itself to look forward to on Raw the subsequent Monday. So it looks like we won't be uh, getting too depressed after Raw if we will get the same exhilarating action from these guys every Monday night on Monday Night Raw. So anyway, that's it, guys, for WrestleRant Radio for September 1st, the premier day in the month of September for 2016. You guys are great. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show. Thank you for your continued support of WrestleRant Radio. Continue to spread the word about the show via Facebook, Twitter, 
all your social media pages. The more people that listen to the show and spread the word about the show, um, the more content we can pump out on a weekly basis. And I greatly appreciate your support, as I said. So before we close that out here, be sure to check me out on all my social media platforms, including, but not limited to, Twitter at WrestleRant, Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.JSN.Matthews, on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Matthews. Check out all the articles I write for Bleacher Report, Sports Kita, Hidden Remote, What Culture, articles going up all the time, especially now. I mean, the past week and a half has been extremely fucking busy, but now that it's over, um, I should be you know producing more articles in the future. And last but not least, be sure to check out new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every Thursday. Not Tuesday. I know Tuesday was our home for many years. But now, as of July 28th or whatever the hell it was, uh, Wrestle Rant Radio is now home on Thursdays. can call Thursdays home. So be sure to check out new episodes every single Thursday. I know sometimes, like in a rare once in a blue moon, the episode will be up late like it was this past week. I apologize for that. But more often than not, the episodes will be up on Thursdays. Next week... We'll see what happens. Um, I will be back on campus as of next Thursday, so I don't know if I'll be recording in the in the studio, on my microphone, or what the deal is going to be. So I guess we'll find out when we have to. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But uh, in the meantime, guys, have an amazing rest of your week. Enjoy the world of wrestling. Look forward to Raw and SmackDown next week. The fallout from you know AJ and Ambrose, Owens, the new world champion, Triple H turning on Seth Rollins, and everything else going on in the world of wrestling right now. It's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. I'm always you know happy and uh, always honored to be talking about it with you guys every single week right here on Russell Rant Radio. So until next Thursday, guys, I'm Graham Gieson Matthews. Enjoy the rest of your week or weekend, and I'll catch you folks down the road. Do a step, do a step, okay.